All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation, a presentation today of the VGH Millionaire Lottery. David Guadrelli, Harmon Dial, our technical producer, the man at the controls, is Grady Sass. How's everybody doing today? How are you feeling, Harm? Doing well. I unintentionally realized that I am wearing way too much Adidas. Oh. The shoes, the track pants, the sweater, and then the track jacket. Wow. Okay, so all the layers are Adidas. Wow. We need a sponsorship. Yeah, you need a sponsorship, (laughs) no doubt. Absolutely. I got my Nation Network hoodie on uh, as we do this show from the iconic Sheraton Wall Center. Uh, As I said, today's episode is a presentation of the VGH Millionaire Lottery. You could be a multimillionaire for just $100. With your VGH Millionaire Lottery tickets, you get in to win one of 10 grand prize options, including home packages in Vancouver and the Lower Mainland, the Okanagan, Vancouver Island, or you can take $2.7 million in tax-free cash. And don't forget to get your 50-50 plus tickets where you can win half of BC's biggest jackpot. It can grow to $2.4 million, folks, so don't miss out Early buyers win more, including bonus draws and 51 early bird draws. We all need VGH, and VGH needs you. Every ticket purchased supports VGH and the UBC Hospital Foundation. With your Millionaire Lottery tickets, you are supporting more than just hospital care. You are supporting you and your loved ones who need it most. Order your tickets toll-free at one 445 5825 in person at London Drugs or online at millionairelottery.com. 19 plus play. Know your limit. Play 
within it. Anthony Beauvillier knew his limits this season. As a result, he's been traded to the Chicago Blackhawks. You like that transition? Yeah, it was pretty good. Thank you. Uh, Anthony Beauvillier to the Chicago Blackhawks for a fifth round pick. We have a game to break down, folks. A 3-1 victory over the Anaheim Ducks. But first, we got to get to it. Anthony Beauvillier traded to the Chicago Blackhawks. We had a listener, uh, Andy, regular listener of the show, said, okay, emergency pod time. We've done emergency podcasts. Favor and I did them. We did one for the Tyler Toffoli trade way back when. I think that was our first emergency podcast. Uh, we've done them for other reasons as well. I think we've had a total of five, and for some reason the topics are escaping me. I think we had one about the OEL trade. We did an emergency podcast. Maybe the bio as well. We might have had two OEL-themed emergency podcasts. But no, Anthony Bovillia for a fifth-round pick, not enough for an emergency podcast. Let's talk about it today. Yeah, so right off the bat, I think we can all agree it's uh, an opportunistic win for the Canucks to get his cap hit off the books. Of course, it would have been ideal if you had somehow found a way to shed it in in the summer where that cap cap space would have been a lot more valuable then than it is now. But if the Canucks had avenues to realistically clear cap space in the summer, I'm sure they would have done it. They turned over many stones before pulling the trigger on the Oliver Rickman Larson buyout. So this is, again, opportunistic is just the best way of describing it, right? Chicago, because of their need to terminate Corey Corey Perry's contract, plus Taylor Hall uh, being out for the entire season, they are in such a shortage of top nine NHL wingers. And that's exactly what what Anthony Bavillier can do. I mean, poor Connor Bedard. The guys spent a big chunk recently of of his 5-5 ice time with Nick Foligno, earlier earlier in the year, Chicago's first unit power play had Ryan, Den- Ryan Donato featured on it. And it's just hilarious watching uh, their power play because it's as if the penalty killers don't even care about the other threats. They're just shadowing Bedard. So he needed more help. We don't know, obviously, if Bavillier is going to play on Bedard's wing necessarily, but they just needed more offensive talent because it really was Bedard and then sort of everybody else on that, on that team. You have to think he's going to get a shot there at some point, especially when you get you, all you did is give up a fifth round pick for him. They're going to give him a shot with Bedard. They have to, he's going to get a shot with them. I think he actually might do well as similar to what we saw when he came to Vancouver last season and his little heater that he went on to finish out last year, playing alongside Elias Pedersen, who was obviously red hot uh, for all of last season, really. But Connor Bedard, you have to think that Bovillier is going to get a shot with him. Yeah, and the Hawks have had weird success rehabilitating Canucks uh, reclamation projects. <laughs> Jason Dickinson had, you know, 30 points last year. This year, he's up to seven goals and 12 points in 20 games. That's more goals and points than he ever scored in a Canucks uniform. People in Chicago are describing him as a legit third-line center on a good team. And like that, him being that type of potential trade chip. You say people in Chicago, but with those kind of numbers and what he's doing defensively for Chicago, it's an accurate statement. Yeah. Like he is a good third line center on a good team. And it's funny because it, it was such a disastrous fit in Vancouver. The way he played in a Canucks uniform two years ago, he would not, if, if that same version of Dickinson was on the Canucks' roster today, he would not crack the top 12 forwards. Mm-hmm. Nils Oman would be in the lineup over Yep. <laughs> and yet here he is back as the third line center the Canucks hoped he originally was when they acquired him. So uh, maybe Bovillier ends up uh, having similar success. It, it definitely feels like he could 
uh, pop, but that opportunity and fit just wasn't right here. And for the Canucks, who've been so pressed up against the cap to have some breathing room, uh, even just in the interim to be able to, for instance, today, recall an extra forward in, in um, Linus Carlson, it just helps to 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 have that extra little bit of flexibility. Of course, it could help them uh, sign Ethan Bear now, uh, potentially make some upgrades down the road closer to, closer to the trade deadline. Uh, it's a nice uh, piece of business for the Canucks. Grady, let's get a look at the call-ups here. Um that they made today. The Canucks made some roster moves. Matt Irwin gets recalled. Linus Carlson gets recalled along with him. Akito Hirose goes down to Abbotsford. Don't think that game was much of a surprise. We had Karan in our chat yesterday saying, if he's not going to play, just send him down. And I feel like that's a fair statement and one that the general manager obviously agreed with because Akito Hirose has been assigned to the Abbotsford Canucks. Matt Irwin recalled from Abbotsford. So nice for the local kid to get that NHL salary. Um, and Linus Carlson as well, recalled from Abbotsford. People in the chat are asking about Christian Willandon. I uh, think he's just a little banged up, but he's going to continue to progress. And I think that's what the team wants to see from him is just get back to 100% and then come out and maybe he'll be a help to the NHL squad at some point. Any surprises on these roster moves for you? Not really. Uh, again, as you sort of mentioned, it, it makes more sense to have a Rose playing professional games because despite how old he is, you have to remember that he's barely had pro experience and the more reps he can gain, the faster he can hope, hopefully uh, acclimate. Plus we know at this point that the coaching staff doesn't quite have that trust level in him. Uh, maybe they'll have a bit more of that in Matt Irwin. doesn't hurt to give him uh, a shot in let's his seventh defenseman role. If uh, you need somebody to, to fill in, in in the lineup or somebody ends up temporarily getting banged up, so no real surprises there. I mean, Carlson didn't look out of place in, in the one game we saw him, so it makes sense to be carrying an extra forward around. Now that you have the cap space to do that, uh, all sensible. I just want to give this take on the Beauvillier trade before we shift to last night's game. You and I were chatting about this right before we came in, and I've seen a lot of this, especially on social media, just people having this idea that, well, this is an utter failure because they traded for Bovillia as a part of the Horvat deal. And some people were saying, oh, he's the main piece in the Horvat deal. And they just gave him up for a fifth round pick. Look, the first round pick was the main piece in that deal. Achiratu was ahead of Bovillier in that deal. I know when he spoke about him, Patrick Alvin kind of fluffed it up and said, yeah, we basically got three first round picks. I always viewed acquiring Bovillier as the Islanders countering and saying, hey, if you want a first round pick and you want our top prospect, it's going to cost you in terms of taking back some salary. And that's what the Canucks had to do is that was just my view of the trade was that was the cost of doing business. I don't think even though the general manager fluffed up the player when he spoke about it, when the trade went down, I always viewed that as a, okay, this, this was someone they had to take back. That's just how I viewed the trade. So I guess when I see him flip for a fifth round pick, I don't lose sleep over it. Yeah. To me, it was a pure cap dump when it happened. Islanders had been looking to move Beauvillier for a really long time. They had trouble finding suitors. And you could at least understand, even at the time, the logic for the Canucks where, okay, Beauvillier was probably a piece they needed to take back even to make the cap math work for, for the Islanders. Plus, you're thinking, okay, this guy could potentially be a handy middle six, middle six forward in case we end up... You have to remember, last year, the Canucks were heavily shopping Besser and Garland. So they may have even been thinking from a perspective of we move one of those guys out, Bovillier, he's been a handy middle six forward. Uh, he could 
offer short-term top nine help there. Uh, and then we can capitalize on the, on the cap space once his contract actually expires. So I, I understood why he was part of the original deal. And I'm glad now that clearly since the fit was so awkward that they were able to get him off the books. As we transition this conversation into, yeah, go on. Oh, one thing I wanted to say is just in general, a lot of these moves at the margins, especially lately, have really helped the Canucks. When you look at even going back to clearing Tanner Pearson's salary um, and getting, getting Casey DeSmith yep. for only a third round pick, I mean, DeSmith's been excellent. I mean, think of what the Canucks' um, you know, situation might have been in that without DeSmith and perhaps they don't have as many wins as they do. Right. Uh, same sort of thing for Sam Lafferty, the way he's upgraded their bottom six uh, playing at center, given uh, the injuries to Bluger first and then Suter recently. That's Jack Stanika. If they don't make that trade, like that's yeah. the difference that we're talking about here. Yeah. And now you basically get back the fifth that you gave up in the Lafferty deal. So it's, it's not as if you're at uh, a draft pick deficit there. And then even Mark Friedman, uh, he's he's slipped recently, but for a while there, when the Canucks were winning a lot of games, he was offering really steady minutes uh, next to Ian Cole. Again, the way Juleson tur- turned it around recently, but the way Juleson was performing beforehand, if that was Juleson in the lineup instead of Friedman during that sort of middle middle stretch of the start, Canucks' Canucks's blue line depth would not have been... Uh, as steady, you would have had a lot more uh, nervousness watching them play. So uh, some tidy work by the Canucks with some of these uh, acquisi- acquisitions over the last couple months. On tomorrow's show, this was from producer Grady. Great idea from him. We're going to do a total record. I want, this is homework for all of us. Three independent records. We're not going to come to an agreement. Three independent ones. Don't show your work to each other of wins, losses, and ties slash toss-ups for the Canucks record with trading since Patrick Galvin has come in. And we'll break down all of our records tomorrow. That'll be on Thursday's show. But before that, on Wednesday's show, we need to talk about the 3-1 victory over the Anaheim Ducks on Tuesday night. And the guy I want to talk about first, Harmon, is kind of a transition with Beauvillier. And that's Nils Amon. Because I thought he's been great. I thought last night, especially, there were a few times where I was watching him and saying, there's a North-South player. Like, there, there's a player that Tockett's going to really like. He had that rush, I believe it was in the first period, where goes into the zone and basically goes through two Anaheim defenders and just gets right to the net. And I think it was like a backhand chop on goal is what it ended up being because he had to fight through some some traffic, but still got to the net, put the puck on net, and like, hey, that's a dangerous opportunity when you're that close to the net. So I was really impressed with Nils Amon last night. I think the organization as a whole has been very impressed with him. That's why he got the two-year deal, notably at a one-way contract. So he's going to make his salary no matter where he's playing. Organization clearly believes this is a guy who can play in the NHL. I think that had a lot. Nils Amon had a lot to do with why they felt comfortable moving on from Anthony Beauvillier. Really? It's, yep. it... Well, think about your lineup. I mean, Think about your lineup, right? Mm-hmm. When everybody's healthy, is Nils Amon there? Maybe, maybe not. But your overall depth, I think you're more right. happy with Nils Amon in a bottom six role than you are Anthony Bovillia, especially when you take into consideration the cap hit. And look, this is a team that has shown us with moves like the Sam Lafferty trade that they're not okay with just having a mediocre bottom six. So 
you know that they're not going to say, okay, well, we really need this money. So while Amon is a huge step down and we're, we don't like him in the lineup, we're going to move Beauvillier. I think the only reason they, not only, excuse me, I definitely shouldn't say only reason. I think a big part of the reason they felt comfortable moving on from him was just how Amon has played so far and how he's played in Abbotsford. Like this is a point per game player in the AHL this season. Yeah, that's an in- interesting take. I hadn't thought about it that way since Oman's more of a center and Inpovillier is a winger, but the way you laid it out does make does make some sense. And you're bang on in that. I really like how he's performed. I, I think he looks much better than he did last season, where For sure. it sort of felt like he hadn't quite filled out his frame, whereas now it feels like he's stronger protecting pucks. I mean, last season he'd get laid out consistently. Like, I don't know how many huge hits he just got. <laughs> He was wearing it in preseason too, like from his teammates. Like there was, hey, Tyler Myers, friendly fire. That's the topic we were talking about right before. There was a hit in practice where Tyler Myers just laid out Nils Amon and he didn't see him coming. That was happening in the preseason. And it's interesting you bring that up and not to cut you off or anything, but Rick Tockett spoke about that last year when he talked about what he needed to see from Nils Amon moving forward. It was just that he's got a great hockey IQ, like, We've seen that. That's why he was able to play in that defensive role under Bruce Boudreaux as much as one can under Bruce Boudreaux. Um, but he needed to fill out and he needed to get better at being harder on pucks, I think was what Tockett referred to. And you just pointed out, like winning your board battles, uh, not getting blown up every time you touch the puck, that kind of thing. And I think he's made improvements there. Still room to grow as well. Yeah, the way he bulldozed his way to the net for the scoring chance you referenced is a perfect example of that because ultimately, if you want to be a checking bottom six player you have to win battles to do that especially down low and oman with his height has always had the potential to be a bigger guy and now it feels like he's sort of more assertive physically you definitely notice as well how attention and detail oriented he is a lot of times you see when the canucks are canucks defensemen are, are under pressure with a loose puck behind the net or on the breakout, Oman is so consistently coming below the dots to help them out, uh, to make a little play to help that line uh, get out of trouble. So I've definitely liked his game since he's been recalled. He's also approaching waiver eligibility, correct me if I'm wrong. So they don't necessarily want to take that risk in sending him back down because they got Pia Suda coming back soon from injury, at least we hope. He's coming back soon. I know there's been some setbacks, but I also think too, seeing Hoglander elevate his game allowed them to, and I, and Alvin touched this on this today is that it's kind of shaking the lines out and they, Bavillier became redundant. I think you can make the argument. He was already redundant probably back to when they first acquired him. But now that Hoglander's really sprung, sprung onto the scene here, you know, there's only so many roster spots available to go around. That's a great point, Grady. And back to what you said, Harmon. Brock Besser and Connor Garland, you mentioned them as maybe Beauvillier was a backup in case those, those guys aren't going anywhere. Like, yeah. we already know Brock wants to stay. Leading the NHL in goals, might I add. So, of course, he wants to stay. And, of course, the Canucks want to keep him. Because all of a sudden, it looks like Brock Besser's on a bargain contract. But... Connor Garland as well. That was the guy that there was a lot of smoke at the start of the year. We heard about the agent getting permission to talk trades. The latest reporting we've heard there, and we'll talk to Frank Saravalli later in this show, so maybe he can give us some more insight on that. The latest we've heard is that those have kind of quieted down and Connor Garland's a little more happy being on a winning Vancouver Canucks team. So just something to consider that, yeah, 
this Bovillier trade on top of what we just said about Amon, somehow we talked about Nils Amon for almost <laughs> 10 minutes. Um, you also have to consider that Connor Garland is now a part of this team and Brock Besser is now a driver on this team, playing on the top line, playing in a matchup role. Let's talk about him. The 3-1 victory, uh, Brock Besser, hockey fights cancer night, couldn't write much of a better story, scores the opening goal on, on a backhand, which was great to see just getting right into the crease. And then the long missile, he even referenced, I can't remember who it was that asked him, he even referenced Louis Erickson last night. I think it was Drance. Drance, yeah. Drance there you go. Um, he even referenced texting Louis for some, uh, for some tips about uh, closing out games. The closer. Louis Erickson, uh, Brock Besser scores the empty netter first and last goal for the Canucks last night. Two goals, puts him at 17, top of the league lead with Nikita Kucherov in second with 15. Yeah, I think his first goal shows his continued evolution in that he's not... When, when Brock entered the league, he was sniping Bart down. He was this electric player. He was consistently beating goalies from distance. But that's not sustainable in the NHL, especially when teams recognize that okay this guy has a good shot we're we're gonna have to eliminate this guy's time and space so Besser's evolved in becoming a player that can produce offense from the interior how much has he grown as a net front player both in terms of tips deflections screens but also rebounds how consistently he's paying the price to get to get to those high traffic premium scoring areas I, I think that goal was a perfect reflection of that especially because he's the type of player that excels when there's other chaos happening in the offensive zone and what I mean by that is that play started with Di Giuseppe had somehow ended up at the point Miller uh, or sorry Miller was at the point Di Giuseppe had the puck and then they sort of exchanged uh, where Di Giuseppe sort of went back to the point Miller um, picked up the puck on the right half wall then you had heronic darting down which fantastic job by him activating from the point to create some movement because if five guys are just standing stationary in the offensive zone all that's going to happen is you're going to work the puck back to the point point shot it's so easy for the opposing team to be in their structure and just keep shots to the perimeter but with heronic darting down and all this chaos happening miller was able to find him that's when the defense is so preoccupied with the movement of Hronik, with the, with the exchange of Miller and Di Giuseppe uh, at the point that Brock just kind of gets lost. And I think that's what he does so well now is even a lot of times when you look at some of his other five and five goals, uh, where early in the season when Di Giuseppe was really effective on the four check and then Miller would steal a puck on the goal line, the defensemen were so preoccupied with them turning it over and scrambling to get into position they wouldn't be able to track Besser in the slot and Miller would just quickly whip a pass to Besser in the middle of the ice there and, he, and he'd get a shot off. So he's the type of player that thrives on just slipping under the radar when there's a lot of havoc happening. So uh, that's been um, really Im impressive to see. Andre Kuzmenko's return to the lineup as well. Talk it called him. Okay. A couple times he said, eh, I thought he played okay. Yes, I thought he played okay. Did not want to comment further than that on Andre Kuzmenko's game. Uh, what do you think of his game? No points last night. I called him a score goal. He didn't. What do you think of his game? I thought it was more of what we've typically seen from him in that he didn't play that poorly, but he wasn't very noticeable offensively either. His best moment, of course, was distracting John Gibson in front of the net on Pedersen's wraparound goal. That's a legitimately good player, right? Talkett has spoken about the importance of getting to the net, battling, paying the price. 
Kuzmenko showed excellent net front skills during his uh, first season with the team, him getting to the net to the net there and getting right up in Gibson's grill. It's great stuff there. But outside of that, I thought he was sort of shaky again uh, with the puck. And it's interesting because what I did for this game was I tracked every, every notable puck touch he had, which is sort of similar to what some NHL teams and coaching staffs do to evaluate players. And it's interesting where he had a stretch in the first period where he quietly really struggled. And this is why I think sometimes it doesn't necessarily show up in a really costly giveaway, but I noted four plays in a row in the first or in the first period where Kuzmenko got the puck and the play just died and the other team was able to uh, get going. So for, in, for instance, 1541, he got time stamped here. Kuzmenko tries to enter the offensive zone, make an entry pass to Mikheyev. It's broken up. Uh, two minutes later, Hughes off an offensive zone faceoff win, sends a puck down to Kuzmenko. Kuzmenko loses the wall battle. Uh, Canucks' offensive zone possession ends. Uh, four minutes later, Kuzmenko gets the puck in the slot. This is a little spinorama, and I actually love the creativity of this move. I, I, I want him to make that play, uh, but puck gets knocked off Mikheyev's stick, and the offensive zone possession ends. Then a few minutes later, again, Kuzmenko tries to rim the puck around the wall on the power play to Miller. The pass is out of JT Miller's reach, and the Ducks clear. So that's four straight puck touches where none of them are egregious plays, but they all started with Kuzmenko having the puck in an offensive position, and they all ended with the puck leaving the attacking zone. Of course, he settled down from there, but there's still a lot of room for improvement, I think, in in how many productive puck touches he has offensively. The thing I noticed most about him was when he started rushing into the zone and started actually moving his feet, which only made me realize that, whoa, he wasn't doing that before. Why am I noticing this? Because every other player on the team seems to do that. So to me, he, he stood out for trying, but it also kind of gave me a, you know, kind of put a spotlight on the fact that sometimes he doesn't do those things. And the fact that I'm noticing it, anyways, I'm sure Rick Tockett feels the same way. And that's probably why he said, yeah, I thought he was okay last night. Uh, we're going to get to Frank Saravalli in moments. We're going to do anyone else afterwards, but because uh, because we're not ready for Frank just yet, uh, this is a perfect time for me to talk about our friends at Four Winds Brewing. Family owned and operated in Delta, home to the Four Winds Light Lager, a crisp, clean, and easy drinking beer, a beer for everyone, a perfect beer for before, after, or during the game. Ask for Four Winds Light Lager at your local liquor store or have some delivered right to your door through the online shop at fourwindsbrewing.ca. I'll tell you what, I could have used a few Four Winds watching the opening 40 minutes for the Vancouver Canucks where they got outplayed by the noted wagon Anaheim Ducks. Uh, We didn't really touch on that, the start of that game where I thought every line had a good first two shifts and then I thought every line took a step back and then I thought in the second period, I was like, oh, okay, this... This team that was doing so well to start the year, they're not legit. They're 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 not a good team because they're losing to the Anaheim Ducks here. They're they just they're wagon come, ducks. They didn't come to play against the Ducks, who by all means they're a fantastic organization, great team. But the second period just it looked it was abysmal for the Canucks. Are they a great team? Are the Ducks a great team? It's like me saying, oh, night. there's so many good defensemen in this organization. So many good defensemen in Canucks history to pick from, Harmon. Um, but yeah, you're right. 
I sort of marked it down as the first 13 minutes of the first period. I thought the Canucks were all over Anaheim, winning every puck battle. They looked fast. They looked tenacious. It almost looked like looked like they were bullying the Ducks in some spots when it came to 50-50 puck battles. It, it sort of felt like older brother plays little brother <laughs> in a game of pickup basketball, and it's just like, I'm going to post you up. Yep. You're too small. Uh, but then in the final seven minutes, the Ducks started to get going. I thought they were sparked, especially by that power play. Mm-hmm. They got towards the end of the period. And then the second period, yeah, they were the Canucks were dominated. Uh, again, I think in large part because of the special teams. Ducks' power play was zipping the puck around. It was inevitable that their power play was going to score. It, it felt like how much pressure they had. McTavish was so many good looks. Mm-hmm. And even the cross-seam pass that led to Ryan Strom's goal, not loving how the PK looked in that game by any means. Meanwhile, the Canucks' power play, they had occasional looks like the JT Miller breakaway, but they didn't have that same level of sustained pressure. And it felt like that momentum differential translated to 5-on-5, which is why I think it was so surprising then to see the momentum change again, where the Canucks had a fantastic third period. And not only... Does Pedersen finally get back on the board with a five and five goal? But what I loved is the Canucks didn't rest on their laurels after gaining the lead. They kept their foot on the gas, and it was similar to the way they defended the lead in Seattle, where they just kept attacking. They just kept mm-hmm. outworking them. It wasn't like we've seen in previous seasons where this team gets up and they're like, okay, we're going to be ultra conservative. We're going to sit back. We're going to be passive, and we're just going to park the bus. They were continuing to create chances, create looks. They just dominated the Ducks in that uh, third period, which is really impressive to see again because last year, there's no way the Canucks would have held on to a lead the the way they did last night. I think the shots on goal per period tells the story here. 12-6 to six for Anaheim in the first period, 15-6 to six for Anaheim in the second period, and then four for Anaheim, 15 for Vancouver, 31-27 to 27 the total shots in that game. Thatcher Demko stops 30 of 31 shots faced. He had a good quote. We'll get to that in anyone else because that's my uh, anyone else topic for the day. So we'll get to that. Oh, Frank just said, hang on. Again. I will say for the first period, I thought the shots, even though the Ducks had a clear advantage, I think they were misleading because mm. I counted at least two or three rushes where the Canucks had numbers, but they... And it, and it was a threatening-looking rush, but the pass into the slot got intercepted or something along those lines. Like, I, I had at least one from Besser that I counted. Uh, there were one or two more that I had sort of noted and remembered. And those don't count as scoring chances on paper. Those don't count as shots or even shot attempts. But to me, the way that the play was developing, that was a legit scoring chance. So statistically, I think the shot totals don't tell the story of what I thought overall was a good period for the Canucks. Yeah, I think the shot totals more tell the story of the second period yeah, because for the first half of the first period, the Canucks looked like a good team. They looked like a good team. They looked like a great team in third period. Uh, what really interested me was the San Jose was a wake-up call quote from Rick Tockett, and then his team falls asleep in the second period. I can only imagine what the conversation was like in the intermission, the second <laughs> intermission. Uh, I'm sure there was another wake-up call delivered. My, my question is whether it was from the coaching staff or if it was from the uh, the leadership group, the players, because talk has spoken so much about being kind of hands-off and how the leadership group, the leadership group, these guys can handle it themselves. They do a good job of keeping everybody in line. 
I wonder uh, what that wake up call actually looked like. Um, we got Frank standing by. He told us to hang on, so I think he's on the phone with a general manager. That's all I can uh, all I can come to. But let me get this in here because uh, it's a good time with Daddy Faceoff standing by to talk about the Wendy's Daily Faceoff Survivor Pool game. Wendy's is letting you win real food with your fantasy teams this year with the Wendy's Daily Faceoff Survivor Pool. For those of you who dream of smoking the competition, Wendy's is rewarding you with weekly prizes that will have you winning. But here's the big secret to lineups. It's all serendipitous. Like Wendy's new limited edition chicken strips and French toast sticks. Sticks. <laughs> Sometimes the best Careful. teammates are the ones you'd least suspect. Sign up to play Daily Faceoff Survivor Pool to win weekly prizes like new chicken strips and French toast sticks from Wendy's and the Wendy's app. Have you seen this? I've seen this on all the bus benches. I think it's super cool. It's, an, it's like you get the chicken strips with French toast sticks. It's kind of like chicken and waffles type thing. You know what I mean? You're mixing the sweet and savory. What are French toast sticks? Have you never had French toast no. sticks from Wendy's? They're actually... I, look, I, I'm not even doing an ad right now. They're delicious. The French toast sticks... The, if my you story, can pronounce them properly. Yeah. My, my <laughs> French toast stick story is that I think it was in Victoria. I can't remember where you were. Faber and I ordered Wendy's. Actually, no, we were at his place. Uh, we ordered Wendy's and we got the breakfast Baconator and Faber's like, oh, these French toast sticks are new. And we ordered those and they were delicious. They were so good. I'm sure these are good too. Um, and this is basically mixing those French toast sticks, which are delicious with chicken strips and you get them together. You know what I'm saying? I love chicken strips. So maybe I'll have to give this a shot. Yeah. People, uh, people really like, uh, People like, okay, what's going on with Frank here? Just quickly, Quads, <laughs> why do I get the impression you're the type of guy that will get some fries from Wendy's and stick it in his Frosty? No Sorry? ketchup. You seem like the type of guy you'd order fries at Wendy's and you'd start dipping it in your Frosty. Can you confirm or deny? Confirm. It's delicious. Do oh. you guys not do that? No. Oh, it's so good. I've oh, actually never did, had a Frosty. Did Favor teach you that one? No, I've been doing that for years. You've never had a Frosty? No. Oh, my gosh. We got to order this to the studio. Okay, I don't know where Frank is. Let's go to anyone else. Um, Yeah, we'll get to him eventually, hopefully. Uh, Okay, let's get to anyone else. We will get to Frank when he's ready. Uh, He is not ready yet, folks. This is a live show. Uh, So let's get to anyone else presented by DoorDash. It's our listener's chance to get involved and hit us up in the YouTube live chat. It's also our listener's chance to get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more. That's right. For a limited time, our listeners can get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when they download the DoorDash app and enter code NATION25. That's all capital letters, NATION, and the numbers 25. Offer valid in Canada, subject to change, terms, do apply with restaurants, grocery, pharmacies, bakeries, flower shops, and more. DoorDash really has everything you need to make the holidays special. Okay, what do we got here in uh, anyone else? Uh, I had a good anyone else, actually. And I've completely forgotten what it is. So until that comes Demko. back to me. Yes, thank you. Did anybody else, anyone else, I should say, really like the quote that Thatcher Demko gave last night? This is a guy who knows how to, I don't want to use the word pander, he knows how to appeal to a crowd. He's doing his walk-off interview with Kate Pedersen, and he's asked about playing at home, that type of thing, and he just said, no, I just really like these guys, and the crowd starts cheering, and he goes, they deserve it after sticking with us the last few years. That was the quote from Thatcher Demko after he got first star of the game honors uh, with 30 saves on 31 shots. I just thought that was a great quote. It was highlighted in the Stanchies last night. 
exceptional quote from the Canucks starting netminder. It was awesome. I also thought it was really funny. We spoke to Talkit after uh, practice on Monday. And for those that aren't aware, Demko is very dry in those post-game scrums. He's, oh, yeah. he's pretty good in a one-on-one setting, especially if he's in a mood to talk. But in a post-game scrum, a lot of times I don't even bother listening in because you'll ask him a question about a specific save he made that was amazing. And he'll just be like, just trying to stop the puck. <laughs> like, something like that. And, and it was funny because Talkit was... Um, you know, like we think it's, oh, he just doesn't like the media. Like he's just never really smiling in that thing. And then talk it unprompted. Um, I don't know how Demko came up, but sort of mentioned that, yeah, even after wins, it's hard to crack a smile out of this guy. He uh, He's just always so businesslike is is how Talkie described it. And um, and then somebody in the media chimed back and said, oh, it's not just us that he's like that with then. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> I like that. He, uh, I've seen him in one-on-ones. He really gets going, obviously, with Kevin Woodley. When yeah. Kevin Woodley starts talking to him, oh, he gets going. He really gets going uh, with Kevin Woodley. Okay. <clears throat> One from Commander Vander, who now uses his real name, but I'm going to keep calling him Commander Vander. Thoughts on many shirts guy as in arena entertainment, much better than Crazy P. I'm a, I like Crazy P. You like Crazy P? How do you? Yeah, I do. Why? Because I, okay, I didn't like him. When it was like 2017-18, the Canucks are on route, on, on route for their 23rd win of the season in game 77, and he's banging his drum. Yeah, I didn't <laughs> like him back then. But now you have this wagon of a team. Why wouldn't you want that guy in your arena? Yes, fair enough to get the atmosphere going. But Thank you. No, I, I fully agree with you. The make some noise and him banging the drum. It makes some noise coming from the Jumbotron, but him banging the drum and trying to get everybody hyped when the Canucks are on their way to another like bottom 10 finish and they're in perpetual mediocrity. Of course you didn't like them back then, but don't let what the Canucks looked like back then. Don't blame that on crazy P what the hell? How is it his fault for years? Rogers arena has been quieter than the library on Georgia street, but it's not now like it's it's loud now. Yeah. But it's what a quarter, just over a quarter of the season. Like there's times where he's definitely, you know, crazy P know the game situation like they're getting stomped six nothing like now is not the time to hype the fans up (laughs) but at the same time like he's got a job to do and if getting more out of the fans and making rogers arena a more fun engaging atmosphere is what he has to do then so be it it hasn't been effective for for the most part i will say fair enough but for years like people complained oh the the building is so quiet and then the second you know they see him trying to hype it up people's like oh he's so cringe just like let the man do his job i would just like them there there, there just needs to be a unique or creative or fun twist to it it's just you know what i mean no i think crazy p is unique enough in what way uh show me another guy in the arena doing that you can't He's wearing like wide receiver gloves. Does anybody notice that? He's got like gloves on. I love it. I don't know. Like before you had the Clapperton. Huh? This is before our time. Yeah. What's the Clapperton? You know what I miss? This is before our time. I, I, I have, I tried to do a story on this. Remember the RC Orca that used to fly around the stands and drop like blockbuster tickets or whatever? No, I don't remember. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. There was an RC Orca. Someone in the chat is going to help me out here because I this, remember that. This was an early memory of mine attending yeah. Canucks games is the RC Orca flying around. I think, I think it went back to the, maybe not. 
was, no, no, definitely not. The RC Orca did fly around in the, like the early mid two thousands, yeah. and I have inquired with quite a few people within the organization to try and locate it. Stay tuned. We're still we're still looking for it. Um, look, that that would be a great prop for the desk. I think the RC Orca. No one can find it. Like I I have actually been inquiring for years about this, trying to do a story on what happened to that thing and if they'll ever bring it back and um it's not like i haven't got cooperation from the organization i think everybody wants everybody's after the same story i'm after here um in the organization they want to know what happened to it and they can't find it like no one can find that rc orca so if you're listening to this and i haven't spoken to you yet and you work with the canucks and you know where it is reach out you can remain anonymous and the canucks do listen and watch the show we have confirmed that once in a while i hope it's uh i hope it's someone crazy p talk blowing up the chat right now cody says uh Where'd this go here? Don't read a Cody comment. For the longest time, <laughs> Crazy P was the only guy going to the dirty areas. That's then true. RW Hockey says, I once fought Crazy P at Rogers Arena <laughs> Sports Bar. Citation needed. Also, uh, Commander Vander brought up a good point. Isn't Crazy P a Lions fan who got hired to hype up Canucks games? Well, he said Crazy George was the old guy at Lions yes. game. He basically took a shtick. Well, well, Crazy P also does Lions games, yes, right? Like you see him at yeah. Lions game. Uh yeah, he uh I we got green the guy game. the green guys references in here. The green the men chat is absolutely buzzing right now. Yes, uh yeah, the green men were a topic recently. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Okay, we're going to pause anyone else. Get to it after. Frank, I've already done all the ad reads, so we're ready to bring them right in here. Uh, Mr. Frank Saravalli, who uh, we're only going to call Frank Saravalli today. No nicknames today, Frank. How you doing? I'm good. How are you guys? Good, good. I'm a little disappointed that I didn't use a nickname, but maybe next week. Uh, okay, we're going to get to it right away here. Uh, what do you think of the Beauvillier trade for the Canucks from their perspective? I mean, couldn't have worked out any better. For the first time in the Patrick Alvine and uh, and Jim Rutherford era, the Canucks finally have some salary cap flexibility, and that's a big deal. 
the fact that they were able to get off of Anthony Beauvillier, I think a lot of people saw that and said, okay, so what did they give up? And no, no, they didn't have to pay. They actually got a little something in return. Uh, that part is got to be super exciting for Vancouver. Yes, I had seen the chat and some people liked the way that he played in the bottom six, but for commensurate to his pay, certainly wasn't producing at the level that would be required. And now the Canucks can go out and and get something of value to plug in specifically to their defense core, which has been hurting that they otherwise probably couldn't do. Frank, I wanted to, to sort of follow up on this idea of what the Canucks can do now that they've got some cap space and you alluded to the, the blue line. I think before there's been, and there's almost two paths the Canucks can go down. What It could be more of you know a depth piece that's lower acquisition costs, doesn't move the needle as much. But now that they've got some flexibility, do you think it increases the odds that they perhaps take a bigger, more ambitious uh, swing for uh, a type of defenseman that can maybe be uh, a bit more of a longer-term fit? I think it definitely increases the odds. My question would be how much. Just because you have the flexibility and the wherewithal to do it, it takes two to tango. It doesn't mean that there's necessarily a team out there that's willing to trade an impact piece. And that's really the hard part to figure. I've got my first trade targets board of the season coming out on Thursday. And I'm really struggling with some names because there's so many teams that are in the mix that even if they're not true authentic playoff teams, they at least at this juncture of the season want to see things play out and see if they could possibly, if you're St. Louis or you're Nashville, if you're one of the teams that's kind of retooling and rebuilding on the fly, why cut your legs off if you can sort of sneak into a playoff spot without having to do anything. So those teams, uh, you know, look at Chicago, who the Canucks just traded with again. Uh, they don't have anything left to pick at. Look at, um, you know, pick another team. Like there's, there's not much more to strip down from the Anaheim Ducks as they're trying to go in a different direction and, and try and be more competitive. Who are you going to trade for? Adam Henrique? That doesn't help the Canucks. So, um, the Canucks have a want and certainly a will, but it doesn't mean that someone out there is necessarily ready to facilitate. And that's been the harder part of the equation. Frank, Brock Besser, Connor Garland, both those guys in trade rumors, Brock, obviously more last year, Brock Besser's leading the NHL in goals right now. How much did it shift the focus to Beauvillier for the Canucks that Besser one wanted to stay, but two, that Garland is also a contributor to the team this year as well. Yeah, I think for Beauvillier, it was kind of the guy that just stood out like a sore thumb. I mean, he was Garland has the term issue. Um, you know, you see the production from Besser and, and really, I think things changed for Besser when he came out at the end of last season and said he didn't want to be traded. That is the exact demarcation, the moment in time where it was like, oh, that's interesting. Didn't see that coming. And I think that changed his whole mindset in the summer. So that part has been really important. He's obviously been a huge piece to this team this year. And Garland, they, I think they'd love to do it. They're just not going to find a taker with that term left that Bovillier was the one guy that I think put them in a spot where they, you know, he was the easiest guy to move at the same time to create some of that cap flexibility that they've wanted. Frank, just big picture outside of Vancouver. How do you think the league um, executives, coaches, the industry, views the Canucks' 
hot start? What stands out to them? Are they believers? Uh, what's the overall commentary around this around uh, this perception of the team's turnaround? Yeah, I think there's a lot of believers, certainly in the core pieces. I think everyone has watched Pedersen and Hughes and Demko and says, wow, this is the makings of a really special trio that checks the positional boxes that you need to be successful. I think they've been a little bit skeptical in terms of some of the results and the underlying numbers. And then now watching some of the um, injuries on defense has certainly in the last 10 days sort of changed the perception of, hey, this is a team that probably is hanging on for a little bit of time until they can find more support on their back end because they're right back in the same spot that they were last season, which is trying to use depth defensemen to fill and play some pretty big roles. They're not alone. The Toronto Maple Leafs are in a pretty similar spot with all the injuries that they've had on their back end so far. Um, but I think sort of universally league-wide, the Canucks are viewed as a team that could do damage, that um, may not be considered one of those five, six, or seven true Stanley Cup authentic threats. But I think they're a team that I look at, and I think in speaking to and, and getting some opinion and takes from executives around the league is that they view the Canucks as a team that could be a true wild card. And I say that not in terms of a position in the standings, but one that might be able to go on a deep run. A deep run. I love it, Frank. You're just bringing the heat today. Uh, okay, in your opinion, like your opinion, you're Frank Cervalli, how far do the Canucks go in the playoffs? Because we know their start and everything they've done so far basically secures them a playoff spot, knock on wood. But how far do you think this Canucks team goes in the playoffs? I guess tell me where they finish in the standings, present me the bracket, and I'll tell you where they go. I mean, that's really Second the hard. Third. <laughs> Second, Second or third in the Pacific. I mean, that's that's really the spot that, you know, you're looking at, okay, so you play the Kings mm -hmm. in the first round right now as constituted, and you go, oh, I really like the Kings, and I like how disciplined they are with their 1-3-1, one, one, and um, I do think they're vulnerable in net, but that's been pretty stable so far after a rocky first week of the season. Um, I view, depending on matchup, the Canucks is a team that could most certainly win a round and potentially more, but I just, I don't see them knocking off the Kings or the golden Knights in round one, if they have to. Hmm. All right. That's fair. That's fair. And we'll continue to ask you this question about how far they go. Uh, Frank, you wrote about the Corey Perry situation in Chicago today over at daily Faceoff. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, it's, I think one that there's still a lot left to write because the, Look, just from a pure precedent perspective, the NHLPA hasn't decided yet whether they want to grieve this, but we haven't really seen a situation where a team has terminated a contract of a player that has not necessarily done something um, that's illegal, that he might have been in inappropriate or improper but not illegal. And I so I think there's a lot of players, agents, and and frankly, even some executives from other teams today saying, well, hold on a second here. What exactly are the details? What did the Chicago Blackhawks use to be able to terminate this contract? And that part, I think, has certainly been under scrutiny. And I think we're all left asking a lot of questions because we still don't know a lot. We know that, as I reported today, alcohol was involved. We know that there were team employees and 
corporate partners that were around, but we don't know what Corey Perry did. We don't know who witnessed it and we don't know who reported it. And until we learn some of those details, it's kind of hard to offer some more commentary on the validity of the Chicago Blackhawks to be able to terminate his contract. And then more than that, the next question is, okay, so where do the where does Corey Perry go from here? This is a player who uh, was off to a good start on track for 50-some points this year as a 38-year-old, um, someone that's highly respected, someone that um, is a borderline Hall of Fame player with a Stanley Cup and just about every trophy that you could imagine in his trophy case, whose career and reputation has kind of been burnt to a crisp in the last week. And so you look at that and you say, okay, if we had more details, we could probably predict whether or not a team is going to take a chance on this player. And we've seen other players on other teams, whether that have had their contracts terminated, whether it's been Mike Richards, who was charged with crossing the border with, uh, you know, prescription medication, whether it's Evander Kane and his contract termination in St. in uh, San Jose, those guys end up getting picked up in other places and they've done stuff that may have been illegal that we don't know yet on Corey Perry. So I think it's too definitive to say, okay, just because he's 38 years old and this happened, that we know for sure that Corey Perry's career is over. I'm told there have been a couple teams that have expressed interest in the last day or two, obviously clearing waivers, that was going to happen. But there's a lot left to sift through, and we're left with more questions than answers. That's really interesting. 38 years old, uh, which team would take another shot on him? It's just the immediate question that comes to mind. Like, Frank, do you have... Like, like, where, where is there a fit for Corey Perry? Like, how many teams do you think it really is? It was a nice try, but I'm not going to tell you which teams have poked around. <laughs> I'm not around. asking for names. I'm not asking for names. But I can't, I can't even begin to speculate on what might be a fit because then, again, we don't know the details and sure. you're potentially painting a team as one that might be sympathetic to his situation. Sure. And I, I wouldn't want to do that either. But I would say for a player, if, if we're just purely talking on ice impact and performance, someone who is a pain in the arse to play against, someone who has clutch moments, someone who's won a scoring title and a, and a heart trophy uh, and has Stanley Cup experience, Olympic gold medals. I mean, I can tell you there's a lot of teams that would like that. All right. Good stuff as always, Frank. Thanks for joining us. Have a good one, guys. You as well. There he is, Frank Saravalli of Daily Faceoff. His story is up now at dailyfaceoff.com. And while you're there, check out Wendy's Daily Faceoff. Survivor. Okay. Uh, final one from antagonist. It's our heater Canucks pr- trade proposal of the day. Uh, antagonist didn't give us a actual trade proposal, but I'm going to give this one to you, Harmon. Do you see the Canucks targeting Brett Pesci in the off season, or is that too big of a fish? My question with Pesci is, okay, what's he going to cost? You already got Philip Peronic. You already got Elias Pedersen. Pesci needs a new contract. Yeah. I like Pesci a lot as a player. One thing that has been interesting about Pesci, because I did a piece last year looking at, you know, some of the top defensive defensemen, and I was breaking down video and just having a conversation with another executive, sort of who essentially brought up the brought up the idea that Pesci's a fantastic player, but is he the type? The point was that he may not look as good in a different environment as he would in Carolina. Mm. And and that he's not quite the quite a driver on his own, even though he has a lot of appealing attributes. And his point was that you may not you may not justify the cost it takes to acquire him. Don't know how much I believe that or not, but you'd have to do a lot of digging on that because Almost especially like Jalen Chatfield. 
Yeah. Also, just for defensemen in general, you always have to think about like fit makes such a huge difference. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're seeing it with uh, with OEL even, right? Of course, his situation. I'm sure the full off season of, re- of recovery um, helps after. I believe his performance last season was hindered by the broken foot he sustained at uh, the Double I HF uh, World Championships. But going to Florida, he went from borderline unplayable, not one of the Canucks' top six defensemen, arguably, to top pair right side minutes in Florida. And the Panthers had a strong winning record without Ekblad and uh, Montour. But yeah, I mean, Pesci's the type of player that if you're serious about taking the next step, mm-hmm. it has to be, I think, a bigger... Like you need a high end defenseman is is the point I'm trying to make to take that next step to contender status. Whether it's him, whether it's Brady Shea's also a pending UFA, although he's he's a lefty. Uh, Gustav Forsling in Florida is uh, is interesting. Where I'm looking at the Panthers and they, Reinhardt is a pending free agent and he's been lighting the league on fire goals wise. They've also got Monter who's in need of a significant raise. Forsling who's a pending UFA in need of a significant raise. I don't know if they have the cap space to accommodate and keep all those guys. Uh, and Forsling's been, I mean, outstanding in um, in the Panthers as they're all situations, uh, top pair defensemen. So the point I'm trying to make is, as we discuss the Canucks' next step, I really would like to see them find a way to, to land a, an actual needle mover, not just as a door. Like if you find a Zadorov type, yeah, he'll upgrade your blue line, but that's not going to elevate you from playoff team to contender status. Okay. That's not going to be a, a big enough sort of upgrade. So you're just going to have to be cognizant of acquisition costs and contract. That's always the, that's always the hard part, right? Because there's so many players around the league you love, but then you come down to the actual, not just window shopping, but okay, this is what you have to pay. And you're like, ooh, mm-hmm. I, I don't love this player as much as I thought I did. Karan in the chat said, the only way we get Pesci in the offseason is if Petey and Hironic take big discounts. We don't expect to happen. So we'll see. I Maybe a deep playoff run. Maybe a deep playoff run. They take less. I don't know. I mean, maybe the not more PD. realistic scenario is probably that you hope to get off of, let's say, Garland's contract sure. and allocate that money to upgrade the blue line. I'm not banking on Pedersen and Hironic taking, <laughs> taking discounts. discounts yeah. And I think if they do go on a playoff run, they're going to get even more because there's a good chance that the reason why they're going that far is because Pedersen and Hironic are exceeding expectations. Maybe Nils Amon. <laughs> Nils Amon. Hey, how about them. this one? If, if Corey Perry doesn't do whatever he did, Anthony Bavillier is probably still a Vancouver Canuck. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. Yep. I mean, almost not even probably, basically. Yeah. I mean, they had certainly. the hall the hall injury, right? Yeah. And so they did need to add someone to play with Bedard, but that was just kind of the cherry on top at the end of it. But now they need needed to add Beauvillier. They needed to add a, a guy. So, yeah, yeah, it's a great point, Grady. It's a very good point. Uh, okay, let's get to Betway. Tomorrow's show, I'm excited for tomorrow's show, boys. When we all come up with an individual trade record of – all the trades, every trade. I'm I'm talking like little trades. We're going all the way back. Every little, not transactions, like no waiver pickups, nothing like that, but little trades that they made. Like Lafferty for a fifth needs to be on there. This is the criteria. If you at home want to play along tomorrow in the YouTube live chat, feel free. We're going to each come up with a record and see how our records compare. 
of a win loss and toss up record for the Canucks. And and Horvat and Herona count as separate trades, even yes. though they yep. used up. Okay. Yep. Separate trades. Those are separate trades. So something like the Travis Dermott trade, for example, counts. Right. But mm-hmm. like, are we putting that like, where would you classify that as? Because because you can, can you really say that they won that trade? Or Tune in came. tomorrow and find out, folks. I'm putting, I'm putting in the tie. We'll debate there's, this tomorrow. Yeah, there's our cliffhanger for tomorrow. Grady's already getting started. <laughs> okay, uh, let's get to our Betway bet of the day here, Grady, and let's get out of here uh, ahead of tomorrow. Okay, Betway, Betway, Betway. LA Kings. Simple. Keeping it simple tonight, folks. LA Kings to beat the Washington Capitals on the money line. A $10 bet at minus 200 odds gets you a $15 return. 90 plus play. If you choose to play, Please play responsibly over at Betway. Okay, uh, Harm, any closing thoughts? Are you ready to get out of here and get get to work on that uh, trade record? For this I want to work on that trade record. One day in the summer, we'll go back to the bending regime and compare them. The Oh, my God. So, so we're going to come up with these. We're going to come up with these tomorrow. <laughs> like you, This is your homework for tonight, tomorrow morning, whenever you want to do it. You go back, you look at all the trades, and we'll come up with a number, make sure we all have the same number. Then we go back and do the bending regime and see how those records compare to this point. Whatever it is, the OEL trade has to count for like three losses in it. <laughs> nope, that's one loss. It was one trade. It's one trade. <laughs> no. It's one trade. And also, also should mention, the buyout doesn't count as toward our records or whatever. The OEL buyout doesn't count toward uh, anything when it comes to this regime and their trade records, as you probably would have assumed. But that's tomorrow's show, folks. For now... We'll close it out there. For my co-host, Harmon Dylan, our technical producer, Grady Sass. My name is David Guadrelli. Our thanks again to Frank Saravalli for joining us on today's episode of Canucks Conversation. Canucks Conversation with Harmon and Quads every weekday at 2 p.m. Be sure to check it out on the Canucks Army YouTube channel. And if you missed it, go check it out on your favorite podcast catcher app. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 